and you, you already have, um, man, spirit-filled people um, throughout the history of the church who have like put in, <laughs> put in the work on mm -hmm. this topic. And in times of controversy, that's, that's one of the first thing that comes to my mind is, is uh, if I'm like, oh man, I'm like, what, where do I go with this? And I'm like, okay, let me, let me start with checking the confession. Um, and, and, and yeah, starting there, man. And it's mm -hmm. often been very helpful. Yeah. You know? To, uh, to kind of build on, you mentioned Spurgeon and the confession and his relationship with the confession, just to kind of prove what we're saying in terms of providing guardrails and providing <coughs> a, a way forward for the church tied to this historical tradition. Uh, when the Metropolitan Tabernacle was built in London, when Spurgeon was alive and there and, and overseeing all that, they put a 1689 confession in the cornerstone of the church's building, um, saying, you know, these are the doctrines that we believe are most prominent in Scripture and that this church is going to be built upon. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, for everyone who's out there saying, well, what about the Bible? Well, of course. Of course, the Bible, that that's the first chapter of the confession, that the final authority of all things is the scriptures. Mm -hmm. But that's not what he was saying. He's not rejecting the Bible in favor of the confession. He's saying this is a summary of the, the truths that we hold to be from the scriptures mm -hmm. and to be most essential and most important for the church. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, all these years later, after Spurgeon's death, the Metropolitan Tabernacle still stands upon the 1689 London Baptist Confession. That is still their confession of faith. They are still consistently within the guardrails of that confession of faith and still holding on. Uh, and there's, there's churches, there's uh, right here where we are in Savannah, downtown, Independent Presbyterian Church. The only conservative Orthodox Christian church in the downtown area is Independent Presbyterian Church. Well, that church was... I love that, too. Independent yes. Presbyterian. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty dope. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that church was started before the founding of the United States, uh, 1760s, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. um, and today, they are still standing upon the Westminster Confession Sorry. of Faith. And, uh, and that's in large part because they committed themselves to saying this is our confession, this is what we believe, this is rooted in the history of the church, therefore we want to continue along in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and they have, and mm -hmm. praise God for it. You know, and confessions are not optional. Mm -hmm. Everyone has confessions, whether it's written or not. Right. Because every heretic in the world will say, well, I believe the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, every inerrant belief there's people that will claim the Bible. It's not about saying I believe the Bible. It's about what do I believe the Bible teaches. So yes. It's a necessary step that everyone takes. Even if people never write down their confession, they have in their head ideas about what, the, what does the Bible teach about God. Mm -hmm. Maybe they believe in the Trinity. You know? What do they believe the Bible teaches about this or that? Th those are saying, that's what confessions and creeds come from. Is we're confessing that we believe these things. And so everyone has to do that. Yeah. And so it's a helpful way, like flying a flag, like, yo, just represent, this is what, you know, this is not, it's not the Bible, but it helps to, like, shorthand yeah. our systems. Yeah. That's good. That's all good, yo. Only, like, the heretics who are, you know, sneaky with their doctrines, they, they don't like to tell you straight up what they believe. Yeah. You know, so we should be like Paul, open statement of the truth, not underhanded ways. 
There's nothing slick about this. I'm going to tell you straight up what we believe mm -hmm. up front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the best way. Yeah. I wonder uh, what if you, you guys think about church history and uh, things that you've read. Like, what's something for you guys that's been like the most convicting thing that has really helped you in your own Christian life and ministry that you've read? Something that's really motivated you, inspired you to, to, to be better as a Christian, to be better as a pastor. Uh, that's, that's been really helpful along those lines. For me, I encountered something in uh, J.I. Packer, who recently went to be with the Lord. Um, but great lover of the Puritans, historian on them. And he was saying that uh, you know, the Puritans have this uh, reputation of being really stuffy and yeah. legalistic and everything's dreary. And he said that, you know, at one of the Puritan weddings, they had a string band for dancing until three in the morning. And he said, it seems even the Puritans knew how to whoop it up. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, that was say pretty that. convicting. Mm, yeah. I thought, you know, I may be able to go till one or two, but I got to push till 3 a.m. sometimes <laughs> just for the glory of God. So. <laughs> <laughs> to whoop it up. <laughs> no, many things. Mm -hmm. Biographies are intensely convicting to me because you see the faithfulness yeah. and the patience and then the, the blessing of God on these people's lives. You think, well, I haven't been through anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm having heart difficulties here. It's nothing. That's right. So that, that can be pretty convicting also. Yeah. yeah. I think the, man, the mindset of the old martyrs, mm -hmm. um, just how they, how, you know, how they thought about uh, their faith um, what it cost them, um, and how willing they were to pay the cost. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Christianity is not as costly in this context um, as it is in the stories that I read. You know, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't. You know, it might cost me like a frowny face on Facebook. You know, that's that's practically like the cost <laughs> yeah. of of my faith in this context. It's like, man, I might post something and somebody will do the angry react. And it's like, oh man, that hurt, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and you go read church history, man, and it got to the point uh, where Christianity was so costly, um, they started just referring to their to their deaths as their second baptisms, right? Um, and they like, it was assumed, it was like it's gonna happen. Like I've been baptized in water, yeah. But when's my second baptism gonna <laughs> gonna yeah. happen? Baptism Whether by baptism fire. by by fire or by blood, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in the arena, and you just see these these stories of, and it was people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. You had poor Christians who would pay the cost of their faith uh, with their lives, mm -hmm. and you had wealthy Christians who would have to pay with their lives. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, you even have a, a story, one of my uh, just really compelling story of uh, the two uh, African women who were martyrs, uh, uh, Felicity and uh, Perpetua. Mm -hmm. um, Perpetua being a noble woman, Felicity being uh, a poor woman, mm -hmm. a servant woman. And they ended up in the Colosseum together at the same time yeah. with, with bears and lions and all that, like let loose on them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And whether they were wealthy or whether they were poor, um, the cost was high yeah. and they paid it uh, boldly. And uh, and so, man, you know, they're just great stories. They challenge me uh, to this day, uh, you know, when I'm struggling with fear of man or if I'm struggling with uh, thinking something's going to be uh, more costly than I want to pay. Mm. And then you look back at your 
your ancestors. Yeah. And <laughs> you'd be like, yo, like, man, they wish. You know, it's kind of like when you think about certain things, you, you forget how much progress has been made. Sure. Um, <clears throat> you forget that when uh, the Great Commission was given to the church um, and they were told uh, uh, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, that uh, as an American, like we're quite literally the end of the earth compared to where those words sure. were spoken. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's like, yo, like, <laughs> like the, like, like man, Minneapolis is actually the proper land, land longitude and latitude opposite. So. That might, that might be, you looked it up. Yeah, I think that's where I am. Yeah. It might yeah. be. Also, you know, weather-wise, definitely the opposite. Because <laughs> when you're in Minneapolis, you just hoping to God that it is the end of the earth so you could fall off and never have to experience that again. <laughs> Bro, I've been there for five years. I, I'm, I'm, that's not an exaggeration, especially during the winter, the winter time. time. A certain exactly. type of mentality and fortitude to right. foray into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, why does everybody keep talking about lobbies and stuff today? <laughs> Anyways. But but that's that's some of the stuff that definitely stood yeah. out to me, man. The stories of the martyrs, man. Um, I, it's unimaginable, like th to to imagine seeing that coming your way, uh, to see to see how uh, Justin died, you know, see how Polycarp died, mm -hmm. um, and and you know to to be able to read these folks' last words, mm -hmm. you know, um, to be able to read the the court documents from their trials, mm -hmm. like. It's crazy stuff, man. It sure is. Yeah. It, it it gives you a confidence and a boldness, um, and it and it's a it's a recalibrator um, for you to go like, all right, man, like this is not that bad. Yeah, you know? I, I have very little to be afraid of, um, and even if it came to that, you know, other people have paid it. And here's the here's the part about it too, man. It also it, it helps you to let go of certain things. Because because the people that we talk about today as martyrs, contextually, um, they weren't martyrs. They were they were everything other than noble deaths. Mm -hmm. These people had reputations that were at at the time, they would have been called heretics or blasphemers mm -hmm. or um, atheists, atheists mm -hmm. right? Whatever it is, <laughs> I remember reading that. Right? Was it was it uh, Justin? Right? Mm -hmm. They 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 put him on trial for being an atheist. Uh, because he kept saying, man, like, yo, these gods aren't real, right? right? You know, it was like, well, they believed in gods you can actually see and touch. And he's like, yo, you can't see my God, right? Yeah. But, um, and they put him on trial for atheism because they didn't get it, right? Yeah. Uh, but, um, but so, but they didn't die with good names and good reputations. Right. And, um, and today, uh, it's one of those things. I think that's a cost we don't want to pay, that's you right. know? Yeah. Um, I think we'd rather catch a bullet than have our names dragged through the mud, yeah. you know? That's true. Uh, so, um. But that was consistent in history. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, when I read more and more about the life of uh, Jonathan Edwards and his reputation as a husband and as a father, uh, that was super convicting for me. Um, and, and in addition to that, how he viewed his responsibility as a pastor and as a preacher. The man shaped everything in his life around ensuring that he made the most of every minute of every day. Mm -hmm. um, 
that he he paid attention to his sleep and to his eating and to his exercise to maximize his ability to sit for long hours at a time and study. Um, and then uh, uh, in addition to that, he was very intentional about the time he spent with his children and with his wife and how he poured into them. And again, you look into the life of a guy like Edwards, you realize there, there, are, there are problems there, no mm -hmm. doubt. Um, but, you know, in terms of what he produced for the sake of the kingdom, there's a lot of rich gold there that I think is, is worth trying to mine. And, uh, and we, we should do that. And, and we learn a lot from that and we grow as a result of it. Um, I think, uh, you know, Spurgeon's a great example of someone who just, he, I think, honestly, I think Spurgeon worked himself to death in the pastorate. I think, you know, ultimately he died because he put so much into being a very productive pastor. And it wasn't to create a name for himself. It was for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and so, uh, you know, I th think of uh, like George, George, uh, George Mueller. And you read the story of a guy like him and how you know, he built this orphanage, never once sought a donation. He just believed so much in the, the power of prayer that he would pray and the stories of how things would show up at the last minute right on time to feed the orphans and how over the course of his, his ministry that the equi today's equivalent of millions of dollars were brought into the orphanage all because of his convictions with regard to prayer. Mm. Um, so there's, and there's so many stories like that in church history. Um, you, even more modern, you think of, uh, of the, the guys who went to, uh, to be pioneer missionaries to the Alka Indians. Um, and, and they were martyred as a result of that. But, uh, you know, the stories as a result of their even being there and what happened to that tribe are uh, incredible. Um, and, and so, to, to miss all of that, to not have that, to not trace that out for any Christian. I'm not just talking about pastors or seminary students spending time studying church history, but for all Christians to study this. It's really encouraging. It's really convicting. It's really helpful. Um, and man, what a great thing to begin instructing our children in from very early. I'm super thankful for like Reformation Heritage, for example, that mm -hmm. publishes church history books for kids. Mm -hmm. My kids read all those and they love them. It gives us a lot to talk about as well and, and a, great, a great thing to read during you know, family worship time or whatever um, for all the benefits that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Um, uh, Luke, uh, back to you, man. Uh, we're kind of sitting here going down memory lane here. <coughs> Uh, uh, talking through martyrs, things like that, but but things that hit you in the feels, man. You know, anything come to mind? Um. So um. Uh, back to the biographies. Uh, you know the the stories of the reformers, and the way that the whole story works together. It was. You know, the Reformation was this international phenomenon that was happening, that it wasn't just one guy, Luther, Calvin, they're like the, the faces of it, but to read how the gospel advanced through those ages, yeah. that's usually pretty deeply Absolutely. to me. Yeah. You know. 
one of my favorite books of all time is the autobiography of Vlade Equiano. Mm -hmm. um, the interesting man, the interesting narrative of the life of Vlade Equiano and just how he was, he was kidnapped as a child in Africa, Benin, Nigeria area of mm -hmm. the modern world. Sold into slavery, encountered Christianity eventually, um, became a strong believer and uh, an entrepreneur. And his story, I always find deeply moving also. I love History that. or his story? <laughs> Both. Yes. So um, <laughs> those are some highlights, but man, I mean, you know, it's all it's all pretty moving. A word in season if you're, you know, if you take yeah. your time and and you absorb it. I can't think of much church history that hasn't affected me to one degree or another. Yeah. Because it's like, it's not just information, man. This is like our family. Yeah. 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 There's a, you bringing up Equiano reminds me that there are, there's still a lot of work to be done in highlighting various aspects of church history. Mm. I think one of the most underdeveloped historical records is the history of the church in Africa. Mm. Um, as you guys know, and many of our listeners know, I spent a lot of time, I spent over the last decade working in Africa. And the more I've discovered about the history of the church in Africa, the more I'm amazed at how little has ever been written or talked about with regard to the church in Africa. Um, and even still, I think Africa is deficient in terms of scholars that are able and, and willing to, to write about it, to do the research and to discover it. Um, some of the stuff's been lost at this point or destroyed, but I do believe there's enough there to, uh, to begin working that out and discovering who, who were these men. We forget that some of the earliest history of the church is from Africa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. all the focus is on, it's almost like the church went from, uh, from Israel to Europe, mm -hmm. to the Americas. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the history of the church. Yeah. But you have Africa, you have a lot going on in Asia, and the spread of the gospel in Asia. There's more Christians in China today than there is in the entire Western world combined. Mm -hmm. We have very little history there. Um, so there's still a lot to discover. And yeah. so if there's any aspiring church historians out there, those are areas to look where you could do some really helpful study for the sake oh. of the church. Yeah. yeah. That's something uh, uh, I care deeply about. Our church cares deeply about. Um, every year, uh, the last Saturday in February, uh, which is Black History Month uh, here in the States, uh, we take uh, that last Saturday and we do a conference called Black History is Church History. And, um, and we go and we bring out and highlight um, some of these lesser known stories mm -hmm. um, that came uh, in pr pr uh, predominantly uh, these old ancient African stories yeah. um, of, uh, of, of their relationship uh, with the faith and how God used them. It's, it's, and it's so, it's so important uh, to the American context to understand that um, uh, Christianity uh, has a rich history in Africa and a rich history in Africa that didn't come through conquests Right. or colonization or anything right. like that. But God revealed himself to people uh, who happened to look, you know, a little bit more like me in terms of complexion. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and 
they were compelled to repent and believe the gospel. And then they were compelled to go and tell others about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how it spread uh, natively uh, through Africa. Um, uh, yeah. it, one of my prized possessions in my library is a set of books I have um, where the, uh, the Coptic church, they had a tradition of writing a biography about each of their uh, bishops. Um, and so um, the first bishop of the Coptic church was Mark. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mark was born in Africa. Mark died in Africa. Uh, Mark wrote one of the Gospels, right? <laughs> and uh, you have a, a great African contribution there. And then he went and planted the church in Egypt and became their first bishop. And so, we, so I actually have uh, the collection of biographies written firsthand from the cops um, about their the, the biographies of their, and they have an unbroken line of biographies on all their bishops for over 600 years. Mm. And you see Amazing. the rich history of uh, the, the, the Coptic church um, from their perspective. It's not someone writing about it. It's right. their actual in the uh, writings about that. And then so it meant tons of great history. And then you get to see even in those writings as I read them, um, Mark retired and he appoint, they appointed he, uh, another bishop and then he went and planted more churches all throughout North Africa. Mm. And so you see uh, the gospel spreading natively um, from Africans to other Africans all throughout Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a, a really dope, rich history. I hope yeah. we get to spend some more time. It's a little difficult now uh, because after the Islamic conquests, right. uh, they lost a lot of, a lot of land, oh, yeah. a lot of culture, a lot of history. Yeah. Um, it, and, and many of those um, uh, 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 collections of Christian historical landmarks and art, they're either destroyed or they're just there, just like sitting there. Yeah, nobody like, knows what they're sitting on. <laughs> they don't even know what they're sitting on. So Thomas Oden uh, wrote a book about, um, he, he got permission to go into Libya um, and, and to do some work there. That's great. He like literally had an escort everywhere he yeah, went. Sure. But um, he started realizing there's so much history. They're just sitting on it. Mm -hmm. And one day, if we ever get access um, to those parts of Africa that were taken uh, uh, during the Islamic conquests, um, we're sitting on a gold mine of, yeah. of African church history. Yeah, praise God. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was thinking about with regard to just the usefulness of church history is um, when, when we hear about, when we hear about doctrine or th theological issues today, I think it's important, I would dare I say necessary that we look back in church history to say, is this something that has been talked about before or developed throughout the history of the church? And so the more church history we're able to discover, like going into a place like Africa, Asia, and digging more of that out that we don't have now would be really helpful in this. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, when I, so a good example of this, and look, I'm not picking on anyone here. This is just an example for myself, that when I first started hearing uh, about dispensationalism, I wanted to go back in history and say, where do we see this historically? Mm -hmm. And then when I realized this is only about 150 years old, mm -hmm. and it was developed in North America predominantly, um, that raised a lot of red flags for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I am a firm believer in what we see uh, Solomon telling us that there's nothing new under the sun. And so if I read that, and I understand that to relate to the truth of God's word at the same time, if I do see something new or novel that is very different from what we've seen throughout the history of the church, 
that's probably going to have some some problems attached to it that I don't want to uh, associate myself with. So, um, so as I study that out to see the the stronger, more rich tradition is in covenant theology, and then I look at both of these alongside the scriptures and alongside the statements of faith throughout the history of the church, I realize I'm not going to hang my hat on something that's only 150 years old mm -hmm. when I've got thousands of years of church history that has said otherwise. Yeah. And that's when it gets to be really, really helpful in terms of sorting out your own theological positions. Mm -hmm. if, if I remember correctly, man, I remember one time you said uh, that dispensationalism, you know, they, they learned about it when Joseph Smith found those tablets. <laughs> and they found that, and then they had the, the dispensation. There's like a tablet that, that talked about dispensationalism. Dispensations? So, yeah, I mean, just, you know, and so Joseph Smith was kind of where a lot of that, he was the first one to kind of talk about it. And, you know what I'm saying? That was, that was about around there. Yeah. That was you who said that, right? I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, that was Nick Kennedy who said that. That was right. Was Joseph Smith, dispensationalist. That's where that wow. came from. So. But he didn't want to pick on anybody. This guy, this is, don't listen to a word he says. <laughs> Hey, man, I'm just trying to remember what you said, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you got one guy throwing Thomas Aquinas at me and another guy claiming that I said dispensationalism was started by Joseph Smith. Well, who's worse? Uh, between Joseph Smith and Aquinas? Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that is the question. Look, and here's the thing. We're over here laughing about this stuff, but if you haven't studied church history, you can't even get in on the joke. You don't even know what we're talking about. You know what I'm saying? You're over here like, what yeah. is, what's so funny about this? You yeah. know what I'm saying? If you want to know, if you want to be on the joke, man, you got to join the family conversation, man. This is the, the, the these are the stories of your, of your, of your church family, not minus the Joseph Smith stuff. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> But, but these are uh, stories, this is history, um, and uh, we only gain, we only benefit from being aware um, of not just where um, different doctrines come from, but, but man, just understanding how the gospel spread, um, how, how God has, has worked and has continued to work, and how there's never been a time, there's never been a time uh, where uh, we can look throughout history and just, and just, just not see God working. Mm -hmm. um, you're gonna find it. You're, it's gonna be crystal clear. Even in heresies, uh, when these things pop, that's not a sign of God not working when heresies pop up. Like if anything, really, uh, <laughs> what tends to be the consistent pattern in history is like most people really knew what the orthodox thing was. And then somebody came out of left field saying some nonsense and they're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess we actually need to write this down now, yeah. right? So, <laughs> because yep. we didn't anticipate somebody coming with some foolishness. That's right. So it's not like we had like this new belief that popped up. It's just like, no, this is the new thing, and we need to get the old thing on paper mm -hmm. um, so that people don't uh, get tripped up in this in the future. So that even goes into how the scripture people say, oh, they, they took stuff out the out the box. They took these books out, you know, the apocrypha and stuff like that. Like, like yeah, <coughs> history, man. It'll help you out. It's interesting. It's 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 never ending. It's a rabbit hole after rabbit hole, but it's going to be a ton of fun. All right. It's because it's, it's his story. It is because it's his story. Who is his? I don't know. Is that how he identifies? Stay tuned. All right. So. <laughs>
This is the Merrill Show, yo, uh, man, by Merrill Ministries. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, don't just stop here. Don't just let the episode end and that be the end of it, man. Go ahead and share the episode. Um, engage with it. Leave a comment. Uh, subscribe to the podcast feed. Follow us on all the socials. Uh, and then, man, absolutely go to MerrillMinistries.org uh, and create an account. Leave your email address, get on the mailing list, and then, man, get behind the scenes. We got all types of um, uh, additional uh, things uh, to help provide uh, good tools and resources for you uh, as long as you become a member at uh, MerrillMinistries.org. So uh, go ahead and do that today and tell a friend to do the same. All right. Uh, so this is The Merrill Show, and we'll see you guys next time.